And as I was reading and studying this passage, um, as I always am, I'm struck by its parallels to sports, all right? So if you don't like sports, you probably should just turn, I'm just kidding, you know, don't turn your ears off to me. You're going to get sick of kid and sports analogies. That's all I've got, okay? So if you're looking for something more substantial than that, I'm sorry, I just am not that good at other uh, analogies. But as I was thinking about standing firm, I was thinking about the World Series champion, Houston Astros, which hurts my heart as a Mariners fan. Um, One, I believe the Astros are cheaters because they steal signs. And secondly, they should never go to the World Series ever. But that's all right. I'll set that aside, okay? Um, But I have respect for their manager, Dusty Baker. And many of you Giants fans might uh, remember him as the Giants manager for many, many, many years. And um, he has always been known for being old school, right? Even inflexible might be the way you would describe Dusty Baker. He has a very traditional approach. He only plays veteran guys. I always would joke with my Giants fan friends that you can't have anybody in your team who's under the age of 30 who plays for the Giants. You only like the old guys, right? That's all you would like. And Dusty wouldn't trust the young guys. He wouldn't throw young pitchers. He wouldn't, throw, he wouldn't put young people in the field. He wouldn't do anything with young guys, right? Dusty, he only trusts the old guys. He had to have a three in front of their, their age, right? But they have this kid I was watching uh, I was watching the, the World Series, and there's this kid named Jeremy Pena, and he is 25 years old, rookie shortstop. And I read this article about Dusty and, and Jeremy at the beginning of the year. They, they had let their, if you don't like baseball, I'm sorry, this is going to bore you, but they let their, their star shortstop, uh, Carlos Correa, left in free agency because they knew this kid was coming up, right? And Dusty went to this kid at the beginning of the year, and he said, Jeremy, I'm penciling you into the number two spot in the lineup, and at shortstop every single day. I don't care if you play bad the day before. I don't care if you boot a ball. I don't care if you strike out five times. When you show up to play baseball, you're going to be in the two hole, and you're going to play shortstop for me every day, right? He had this confidence in this kid, and not only did he kill it during the regular season, he was the World Series MVP, and he killed the Mariners in the playoffs as well. So, But through the ups and downs of the season, Dusty stuck with the kid. He trusted him, even when he made mistakes. And you know what? His trust and his faith in this man paid off, right? This, to me, is true leadership. This is solid management. This is standing firm. Because standing firm does not mean that we are inflexible, right? It does not mean that we never change or adjust. That is not what standing firm is. That's just stupidity, right? That's not standing firm, saying that I just, I'm going to stand in this spot and I'm not going to do anything anytime. I'm not going to change anything about myself, right? That's not standing firm. Standing firm does not mean that we don't see our own errors or our own need for change, right? Because we all have ways that we look at the world wrongly, right? Standing firm is being solid yet moldable, right? I love how scripture always talks about us being like clay in the potter's hand, right? He's constantly molding us and shaping us and building us, and right? We don't get to just say, sorry, God, I'm, I'm already molded enough, right? I'm already, I, I, my, my clay's getting hard here, God. I, I can't, I, I don't want to be molded anymore, right? Standing firm is being rooted and grounded in Jesus, but to open to wherever he takes us or leads us, right? It's being built on the rock, but being willing to follow the narrow road wherever it takes us, right? We've read that in scripture, the narrow road. 
And I believe for us this morning, church, that we want to be a people who stand firm in all situations and circumstances. We want to root our lives in Jesus and on the solid rock. We, we just sung about that, right? On the firm foundation that is Jesus. Everything else is sinking sand. Everything else is moving around us. Everything else is, is not solid in this world, but Jesus is solid. That's why I think during Christmas people are so open to Jesus because they want something solid and we have it. His name is Jesus, right? And so we need to set ourselves, our faith on the solid rock. And this other part of standing firm can be tough, right? We need to be a people who are open to the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit. We need to be a people who embrace change. The world changes, right? I spent uh, the last six years of my life um, running a, a business uh, for a friend of mine, and, and we used to sit in our office constantly, and we would talk about how everything was changing around us, and how were we going to change so that we would survive, right? That's how it works, right? We know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever, but our methodology is constantly on the move, or else businesses, they die if they don't adjust. They have to change. They have to morph, right? We must be people who are simply clay in the hands of our potter. We need to be moldable. We need to be shapeable, right? It's not about somebody else who's sitting next to us. This message is for us, right? God, how can I be, set myself, my life in your hands and let you mold me however you want? That's really what Paul is going to call us to in Philippians 4. So let's dive in in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eurodia, and I plead with Sin... whatever that name is. Um, I'm going to let you guys figure that one out on your own. To be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. The God of peace will be with you. And so as we read this passage, we see this mentor, this pastor, this leader speaking to his mentees, his people, his sheep. Right? This is what Pastor Paul is doing for us this morning. Out of his great love for this congregation, he wants to speak the truth in love. Right? He makes it clear that he does not just want what is good for the church. He wants God's best for them. Right? How often do we get distracted by good things, right? doing good things for God when Maybe we're not doing what God actually wants us to do, right? There are a million good things in the world to do. Millions. There's a million good things to do in our 
city, right? There's, we could give to every organization that does everything from handing out food to giving out diapers to doing whatever. We could give to everything, right? And we would probably really, if we gave to everything, give to nothing, right? Because we would give such a small amount. But instead, let's focus on the things that God is actually telling us to do and not just get distracted by doing maybe all of the right things or all the things that maybe even seem right. Let's do what God is telling us to do. Let's listen for his spirit to speak to us and then do what he's telling us. He doesn't want them to settle for okay or enough or all right. He doesn't want us to settle for seven out of ten, right? How many times in our lives have we just settled for seven out of ten? God doesn't want seven out of ten for us. He wants ten out of ten for us. And I'm speaking to myself. As he speaks to his brothers and sisters, Paul, his joy and his crown, that's what, that's what this means in the scripture, that literally Paul is speaking to them as if they're a trophy like for winning an athletic competition. They are his pride and his joy. Paul cares for them. He deeply loves this congregation. They were a fulfillment of God's promise to the apostle to bear great fruit. God promised in advance that Paul was going to go here and do this, and that out of this work, out of this great work, out of this work that God had called him to, that there would be much fruit that would be produced from this, right? And out of his great love for them, he spurs them on to stand firm. Because you see, without love, there can be no leadership. I'm going to say that again. Without love, there can be no leadership. People do not care where you want to lead them if they do not know that you love them. They do not care. We have to be people who lead with love, right? When we lead with love, people will want to follow us, right? If we lead with don't do this and don't do that and don't do that and don't do that, right? People do not want to follow people who live like that. They want to be led by love, right? We must be a people who lead first and foremost with love. And out of love, we can be a great encouragement to one another. Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 19, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that I pray you be rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Let us be people who are rooted and established in love. Don't you want that to be said of you? That you're a person who's rooted and established in love, not rooted and established in you know all the right things, or not rooted and established in I have a lot of money, or rooted and established in you're a really nice person. I want to be rooted and established in love. And out of God's love that he has rooted and established in me, I can be who he's called me to be, right? Out of his love. Let us be a people who have that power by that, that spirit that Paul is talking about, that we're strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us stand firm, or, or another translation says, stay true or stand fast in our faith in Jesus. My mom would often say, there's no safer place to be than right in the center of God's will for your life, right? Shouldn't that be true of us? Let us be rooted and grounded in God's will, right? 
rooted and grounded in God's love, rooted and grounded in what God is saying to us, and out of that, he will produce fruit. This is standing firm in the Lord. And as for Paul, he doesn't only want us to stand firm, he wants us to stand together, right? Paul is all about togetherness. If you're a person who wants to go do your own thing and and just go do church all on your own, you're probably not going to really like the words of Paul very much because he's really about being together, right? And in in Philippians 4, we we find these two prominent women in the church disagreeing and quarreling. I'm sure that never happens here at Modesto Foursquare. Disagreement or, or quarreling, right? Never happens. Now, I've never been in a church where there's ever been a disagreement about anything, right? In the midst of this argument, Paul doesn't get in the middle of it and do a, you know, hour-long counseling session with these ladies. He doesn't, he doesn't sit with them and tell them, oh, you're right about this and you're right about that. And, you know, why don't you guys shake hands and hug and make up? You know, he doesn't say that. Instead, he challenges this church to find common ground, right? To be of the same mind. He he tells them to stop focusing on the petty and get back to what really matters. He's saying, "You're, you're arguing over here about these things that are really insignificant. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Focus on the insignificant. When there's stuff that we have to do, there's stuff that needs to get done, there's things that God is calling us to do, but we're spending way too much time over here talking about the unimportant, right? That's what he's saying. He says to them, remind yourself that your names are in the book of life. Remember who you belong to, and his name is Jesus. We all have our names written in the book of life. We know where we're going when this life is over, right? So let's stop the infighting and be reminded that you're on the same team, right? You guys ever played on, a, again, a sports analogy? You ever played on a team where you had you know, basketball, for example, there's five guys on the court at a time on your team, and you had that one guy who acted like he was on, on a different team. It was his team, right? The other four guys, they could just stand in the corner, but that one guy, he had his own team, right? He was the guy. He never passed the ball. He never did any of those things, never ran the plays, Right? How many times has that happened in our, in our community or in our lives where, where we act like we're not even on the same team? We're in the same jersey. We got the numbers that match. I played for Davis, right? I, I had my green and my gold, right? I had my sh- we, we came out together. The music came on. We ran on the court together. We had the same coach. We sat on the same bench, right? We knew the same place. But when we got out on the court, we acted like we didn't even know each other. We acted like we weren't even on the same team. We were running. One guy was running this way, and the other four guys were running that way, right? How often does that happen? Maybe we sit together, right? We're wearing the same uniform here this morning, and we, we get in these quarrels about things that are really not that important, right? And do you know why Paul cares about this so much? Do you know why Paul is addressing this at all? Because the Lord is near, and he's coming soon, right? He could come back at any moment, Right? Or we could go to him at any moment, right? We don't know if we have 10 seconds or 10 minutes or 10 years or 10 decades left, right? Probably not 10 decades, unless there's advancements in uh, modern science, right? Cryogenics or something, but. But we have stuff to do, and we're running out of time, right? We're all running out of time. 
And so there's no time for petty quarreling or arguments over things that don't really matter. So let's focus up and stand firm on the calling of a God's, God's calling upon our lives together, right? Together. We're on this journey together. You're not in this church by accident. This is not the church. But you're not a part of this church. You're not in this building with these people who are the church on accident, right? Each one of us has something unique to bring to the table. And then God, being our church in Stockton, was called Mosaic, right? That was the name of our church. He fits all of us together perfectly like a mosaic, taking our jagged edges, right, sometimes, the jagged edges of our lives, and somehow God fits them together perfectly for his work and his purpose in our midst, right? Isn't that beautiful? So how can we do this, right? How can we stand firm together? How can we stand together at all? I think Paul gives us five action steps this morning. Number one, be gentle. Another translation says, be considerate to all. This word gentle in the original text means to live in moderation, yielding to others, being mild, being patient, being soft towards others. It makes me think of Proverbs 15.1. A soft word, a soft answer turns away wrath, right? A soft word. Sometimes standing firm requires us receiving a jagged word and returning a soft word, right? Sometimes being gentle, sometimes following Jesus requires us taking in something that is negative and returning out something that is positive, right? Because of the God that lives inside of us, right? We have to allow the Lord to soften us we have to allow the Lord to love us more deeply. I hope that as you walk with Jesus, that you are receiving and understanding a deeper level of God's love every day. Because there, he is unfolding. It's like an onion. God is peeling off layers of his love to us. If you spend time in intimacy, if you spend time with God, I believe that he's going to deposit new understandings of his love for us. How transformative that is right? We have to allow the Lord to mold us. And as he softens us and loves us and mold us, we become more gentle and considerate to those around us, right? I want that to be said of me. I want, I want it to be that I, my soft word turns away wrath, right? That somebody's like, I just said horrible things to him. And he turns around and blesses me like, what? Don't you want that to be said of you, Right? That, that somebody may come at you and they may come and fist, fist out, right? Mark and I were talking about who you'd want in a dark alley, right? Maybe somebody might come at you in a dark alley of your life and try to take you down, right? And, and we have the opportunity to turn that away, to turn that wrath away with a gentle word, right? With a gentle, loving motion, right? Number two, leave anxiety behind. Verse six says, don't worry about anything, but instead Pray about everything. The New Living Translation says, tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done, right? Tell him what you need and thank him for what he's done. That's pretty simple. I could do that, right? We could do that. Simple enough. We don't have to be that complicated of people. To tell him what you need and thank him for what he's given you, right? I can do that. We must be a people who give our fears over to Jesus, 
lay them at His feet. We must be a people who let go of control of our lives. We're not in control anyways, right? Can I, can I burst your bubble? We're not in control. We're, just because you have a pen and a checkbook doesn't mean you're in control, right? Just because you have a pink slip to your car doesn't mean you're in control, right? We are not in control. Jesus is in control. So let's let go of our perceived idea of control, right? We don't actually have it. And trust the King to lead us, right? God, whatever I have, whatever I am, I submit it to you. Lead me where you'll take me. Let me be in the center of your will. We must be a people who turn to prayer and our anxiety and see God move, right? And this word prayer in the original text actually includes two different movements. Number one is talking to God, right? So when we feel anxiety, when we feel those things, right? We all feel it. I feel it. You feel it. We all feel anxiety. We feel pressure. We feel these things. We're lying if we don't, right? We're lying if we say we don't ever feel those things. So when we feel those things, we can go just talk to God. You know, God, today stinks, and I'm feeling this way, and I don't want to feel this way. I want to feel that way. Can you help me, right? Just talk to God. He wants to understand you. He says that he's a friend, right? He wants to talk to us, right? When we let fear creep in, we know that we can talk to God and that we're never alone, right? There's no place that we can go that we're too far from God. And so the first part is talking to God. The second part is this word called supplication, which just means when we face anxiety seeping into our souls, that we can bring our needs, big and small, to a God who cares and has the power to intervene on our behalf. God, this is how I feel, right? We're talking to God. And the second part is, God, I give you these things, and I need you to do something. Please intervene on my behalf, right? And how many of us could just say, man, I've done that before, and God has done X, Y, and Z. I was so worried about this over here, and God was 12 steps ahead of me, and he already knew how he was getting. I wasn't even asking the right question, and God was already answering a question I wasn't even asking yet, right? We can bring our things to the Lord, and we can let him work in our lives, right? That supplication. One theologian says, I love this, undue care is an intrusion into the arena that belongs to God alone. It makes us the father of the house instead of being the child. I'm going to say that again. Undue care is an intrusion into the arena that belongs to God alone. It makes us the father of the house instead of being the child. He's the father. He's in charge. We are not, right? So that arena, that anxiety, that fear, those those things we don't understand, those belong to God. They don't belong to us. And no amount of thinking between these two ears is going to figure it out for us, right? God has a bigger brain than us, right? And it works better than ours, right? I, sometimes I tell my wife that we have peanut brains, right? And God has, not that, not that I think a, a bigger brain probably makes you smarter. I don't know. I don't know how the, the medical stuff, Paul could probably tell me how it actually probably doesn't work that way. But God's mind is greater than ours. It's infinite, And ours is incredibly finite, right? So we lay our fears down and we let the king of all carry our burdens for us, right? The king of all. Not the king of some, the king of a little, the king of 90%, the king of 
73%, right? The king of all. Number three, be thankful. Be thankful. Whew. How much of our world could just change if we were just thankful people? Right? If we just appreciated the things that God had done for us. Right? Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it. Rejoice. Right? Not just once. Twice. Rejoice in the Lord on Sundays. Rejoice in the Lord on Wednesdays. Always. Always. Right? Be grateful to the Lord that gives freely. Be thankful to a God that supplies. Be appreciative for all that Jesus offers us. Right? That we were dead and now we're alive. Right? That I, I can go to the gas station and I can put gas in my car. Right? That I, that I can go home and I can pull something out of my fridge and eat it for lunch. Right? That my roof doesn't have a big leak in it. That every time it rains, there's not water pouring down. Right? That I have two beautiful children. Right? That I have these relationships in my life. That I have these brothers and sisters in Christ that care about me, that love me. Right? We have so much to be thankful for. One pastor I read says, thankfulness guards against whining. It's really hard to be thankful and to whine simultaneously, right? And can I tell you the truth? God doesn't want you to whine, right? He wants us to be a thankful people. We don't want to be whiners. We want to be grateful. We want to be thankful, right? Number four, receive peace. Paul says in verse 7, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love how the New Living Translation says it. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't you love that His peace exceeds anything that our little peanut brains can understand, right? goes beyond our circumstances, right? Have you ever had a moment like that where you're, maybe your life is swirling, right? Nothing is going right. But you just, you just have this peace from God. You're like, this doesn't make sense. Like, I don't have a solution to this, but I know that my God is big and that he does stuff and that I don't have to figure it all out, right? Have you ever had a moment like that where you... Nothing in the physical made sense, but spiritually it all made sense, right? Because you just knew that God had it taken care of, right? We can rest. We can receive peace, right? In the hard moments of life, we can rest in a peace that only Jesus can provide. Only Jesus can provide. In the challenges, we can stand firm in a God who goes beyond our understanding. In the trials, we can know that our, that our God has it. He's got it. He's got it. He's been working on it for a long time. That trial that you're going through now, he knew that was coming long ago. And he knew exactly how he was going to walk you through it. So will you let him walk you through it, or are you going to white-knuckle this thing all the way to the end and think you've got it all in control, right? Right? Doesn't that take the pressure off? It's all on him. It's not on me. I just have to bring my stuff to him. I've got to talk to him, right? And I've got to bring my supplication to him. And then God's got to do it. Right? That takes all the pressure off. I love that. Number five, we've got to be about it. Uh, Pastor Ken Worley, who Cassie and I worked with for three years in Manteca, used to say, if you're going to be about something, you might as well be all about something. Right? 
If you're going to be about it, you might as well be all about it, right? Nobody wants to be like half about it, right? We want to be all about it. If we're going to serve Jesus and we're going to follow Jesus, let's really serve and follow Jesus. So that means that we can't pick and choose what we like in here and what we don't like, right? We got to do it all, right? When God asks us to do hard things, we got to go do hard things, right? If we're going to be about it, let's not do this thing halfway. Let's go all in for Jesus. Paul describes it in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Right? Don't we want that? Don't we want, I want to think about things that are true and right and noble and lovely and admirable. Right? Don't I want to talk about those and think about those things? We're called to think on these things. We're called to set our mind on the goodness of God, right? Sometimes that means we've got to turn off the TV, right? Or turn off the radio, and we've got to set our minds on the things of God, right? We've got to study and embrace all that the Word has to say to us, right? But we're also called to do these things, right? It's not just about putting a bunch of stuff in our brains, right? Anybody can do that, put stuff in their brain. We've got to be about it. We've got to do it. We're to put into practice what we've learned. We can't just learn things. Verse 9 says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Right? Everything you've learned or received from me or watched me do, go do it. Right? God is a God of action. Right? He wants us to do the things he's telling us to do. We can't just think somebody else is going to do it, right? Oh, that, that'll be okay. God will just send somebody else, right? We've got to do what God's telling us to do. We've got to be about it, and we've got to follow Jesus. And Paul says that when we do that in return, we get peace, right? When we're right in the center, like, like my mom would say, when we're right in the center of God's will, there's peace in that doesn't mean it's not scary at times or hard or difficult. You're thinking about what's coming next, right? Because when God calls you to stuff, he's going to require you to do hard things, okay? That's how it works. But when we're right in the center of what God's telling us to do and we're resting and grounded and rooted and planted deeply in him and we're doing exactly what he wants us to do, right? In that space, we have peace because we know that he's the one who has to do it. He's the one who has to complete it. Because you know what? I can't do it, and neither can you, right? All these big things that God has called us to, we can't do those things, but he can, right? Charles Spurgeon says to us, people that are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord, are not apt either to give offense or to take offense. Their minds are so sweetly occupied with the higher things that they are not easily distracted by the little troubles which naturally arise among imperfect creatures as we are. Joy in the Lord is cure for all discord. Isn't that good? Right? Don't we want to be happy, very happy, right? Sweetly occupied by the higher things, right? I want that to be said of me. I don't want to, I don't want to worry about all these things in my life, all these small things, I want to be sweetly occupied by Jesus, right? I want to let the joy of serving Jesus help me stand firm and stand together. Let us be a people who are firm but flexible. Let us be a people who are strong but moldable. 
Let us be people who are rooted, but not without room to grow, right? Because as long as we're breathing air, we have room to grow. I'm going to have the worship team come back up at this time. And uh, I think there are two possible responses. Maybe there's more um, to this morning. What we've learned, right? We can't just learn it. We've got to put it into practice. Isn't that what we talked about? We're not just called to come and listen to a decent sermon on a Sunday, right? No, we're called to allow the word of the Lord to pour over us and change us from the inside out. Every time we open this this Bible, it's transformative. Every time we open it, God's saying something to us, right? He's filling our hearts. He's filling our He's filling our minds, our hearts, right? And He's calling us to do something with it. And so this morning, I want to ask you two questions. How many of us in this room feel like we lack peace? The Lord is encouraging us to bring our thanksgiving, our prayer, and our supplication before Him this morning. And I believe that He will, in our lack of peace, will provide peace, right? And secondly, where have we insisted upon our own? our own way, our own this, our own that. We thought that being inflexible was standing firm, that being rigid was following Jesus. And God wants to gently break us of ourselves, right? Bring our pride before the throne and recenter our plans and our thoughts and our abilities on Jesus, right? So where do we lack peace? And where have we insisted upon our own? I'm sure that any of us could probably think of areas in our lives that that's that way. I'm going to have, uh, ask my church council, anybody who's here and any elders in the church, just to come up front and be willing to pray for us. Can we stand together, church? We're going to sing this song, and if you need prayer for anything, for any reason, either one of the things I described or something else entirely, let's not let this moment with the Lord pass us by because He's doing something here. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us through your word. We pray, God, that we would not leave this space the same people that we were when we came in, but instead we would allow your Holy Spirit to transform us in all the ways of our lives. Let us be moldable in your hands. Let us be used by you. Let us be clay in the hands of the potter. God, we know that we can trust you. We love you, God. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing in our lives, Lord. And we just pray that if you're stirring something within us this morning, God, if you're, if you're challenging us in some way or you're breaking us in some way or you're molding us in some way, Lord, let us not pass this moment by. But instead, God, let us come forward, receive prayer, Lord, and allow your spirit to work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.